Hey, this is Rob Harder with Making Your World Better, a nonprofit leadership show where real stories from real people who are coming up with real solutions to solve society's biggest challenges. What does it take to be an effective nonprofit leader today? How do people fundraise in an economy that is constantly in flux? How do you relate to board members in a way that inspires them to make a difference? What are the best practices that separate effective nonprofits from others? It is my hope that through these episodes, people can learn not only what it takes to be an effective nonprofit organization, but to hear real stories from real leaders who are successfully making a positive impact in their communities. We hope you enjoy this series as together we hear how they're making their world better. Nonprofit Leadership Podcast, Making Your World Better. Our guest today is Zach Shevska. He's the director of the Fundraising Report Card. He's a self-proclaimed entrepreneur and data analytics nerd. His mission is to help nonprofits harness the power of their data to better carry out their mission. In this podcast, Zach delves into the critical area of fundraising, explaining how this report card could be a simple yet extremely helpful tool for nonprofits. Additionally, you're really going to enjoy hearing his insight as to what draws millennials to nonprofits and specifically what motivates them to give. He is a millennial, and you may be surprised what he shares about his own generation. Enjoy today's show. Zach is calling from Maryland. Zach, it's so good to have you on the show today. Yeah, Rob, thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. Well, I've you came, reached out to me and I, I looked at your fundraising report card. I was really fascinated about what you've developed. And so let's just jump right into that. Tell us how you started it, why was it started, and why, in your opinion, is it such a critical tool for nonprofit leaders? Sure. So um, the, the real story behind the fundraising report card kind of has a preface that, that I work for a company called Market Smart. And this fundraising report card tool, this this free resource out there, wouldn't exist if it wasn't for Market Smart. And what Market Smart does, and I won't dive too deep into it, but it's really kind of like a planned gift, a major gift, uh, marketing and technology firm. And Market Smart has a couple hundred clients. And I started my career actually building out uh, websites for some of those clients, Human Rights Watch, UCLA, et cetera. And one of the things I learned early on from working with our CEO, who was very client-facing, was that a lot of our market-smart clients were having kind of like confounding moments with their data. Their board members would ask for certain information at you know the annual or quarterly uh, get-togethers, and uh, you know these directors of development or you know directors of their, their departments would struggle to actually take that information, calculate those numbers, and provide that information. Uh, to their board members. So we kept hearing that message for months. Uh, so my founder, CEO here at MarketSmart, Greg Warner, he worked with me uh, to create the fundraising report card. It was really this resource, this tool that we wanted to create that would solve that problem. And initially, we built it as an internal tool, right? So it was something that we would use internally. We would ask MarketSmart clients, hey, you know, just send us some data and We'll send you back these pretty reports, and and people were happy. But we what we what we decided uh, was to actually kind of bring together the little community that we had access to, so the different consultants that we worked with, and the different clients that we already had, and we wanted to create something that was more accessible, so you didn't have to call us up and have me, you know run some analysis like you may do with a consultant or you know with another uh, firm or vendor. So we came up with the fundraising report card. And really what it is is 
it's an online tool. You sign up with a uh, email address and a password. You export, or we have integrations now with some of the donor management systems out there, but you export or integrate your data. We look at only donor ID numbers, donation dates, and donation amounts. The whole reason being we don't want to have any donor identifying information. We want this to be a real seamless, simple process for, you know, the director of development or the ED on their end, you know, who's going through this. You'll upload that data and you have a series of online dashboards. You can click on the growth dashboard to view your year-over-year growth in donors or donations. You have a retention dashboard that'll show you year-over-year changes in retained donors, acquisition, lapsed, all along those lines. And what we found was that these dashboards were kind of the perfect solution for these board meetings. And even beyond the scope of board meetings, they're used for like internal analysis and things like that. So that's a long-winded answer to how it was started uh, and why it was started. But it was within, you know, good reason. <laughs> no, I like it. And, it, you know, it's interesting. And let me ask him real specific questions. You know, a lot of people that listen to our podcast are nonprofit leaders themselves, either ED or CEO or uh, have a high-level position on their nonprofit staff. Um, so, talk, so, you know, how does it integrate with the current CRM tool? Say, for example, like eTapestry with BlackBot. We use that at our nonprofit. Um, how would yours integrate with, like, say, an eTapestry? It sounds like, from what you already shared, Really glad to hear that there's no, um, you know, uh, donor information being passed on because of, you know, obviously you want to protect that information. But it sounds like you get like a generic ID number for every donor and a date, and, and then you can start watching some trends. So is it as simple as like a CSV file export or a, a PDF export or something to your fundraising report card? How does it work like internally? Yeah, yeah. Um, you kind of hit the nail on the head with the CSV. Uh, we have some step-by-step -step guides. I wish we had a one-click solution for the different BlackBaud CRM products, you know, eTapestry, Razor's Edge, BlackBaud CRM, but it really is simple. Uh, what you'll do is you, and honestly, the majority of our users come from, from these different platforms. What you do is you run a query, right, and you run a query for all donations greater than zero, just in case there's a few that snuck into the database that were negative. And then you set your output fields to just be that, you know, that donor ID number, the donation date, and a donation amount. Download that CSV file to your computer. Log in to your free fundraising report card account. Upload that data. And you have your visualizations. Now, of course, you know, there's no such thing as a free lunch. We do have a pro version with extra bells and whistles and all sorts of fun stuff like that. But for a lot of organizations, and particularly smaller organizations that have no real insight to what their database is trying to tell them, they get exactly what they need out of that free tool. And it is as simple as I hope we're making it sound. It is pretty simple. That was one of our biggest goals uh, when we created the tool, it was, was simple and easy to use. Well, that is very exciting. It does sound very simple. And the fact that it's free for that initial, um, sounds like a report card. And then if you want to go further and get, like say, all the bells and whistles you pay. So I guess that's a question I would ask is, you know, what makes it for you? What makes it work on your end for, to be both profitable and charitable? Yeah, so that's kind of the, the fun business case on my end, right? Um, so we're working on two things on our end. And, and in total transparency, this is what we're doing. Um, the first is we want to create industry benchmarks. So if anyone goes and signs up for this tool or if you've already signed up for fundraising report card, 
please read, you know, the privacy policy in terms of service. It says explicitly we're never going to sell any data, and that's because we're not. What we want to do is we want to create anonymous industry benchmarks, right? You know, so that's part of the, the reason there's a free tool, so that we can collect as much data as we can. We're up to over $13 billion in donations that we've analyzed so that we can then create industry benchmarks for organizations like yours, Rob, or the one, you know, down the street from you, the church down the street from you, the, the synagogue down the street. Every organization should be able to benchmark themselves relative to their peers. That's goal number one, and that's part of the reason why there's a free resource out there. Goal number two, and this is an entire transparency, is because the company I work for, MarketSmart, this is a fantastic, you know, opportunity to expose people to what our company, MarketSmart, does. Now, my personal goal, the reason that I am so involved in this, is because I want to see Fundraising Report Card uh, serve as kind of uh, an introduction for executive directors, develop, directors of development, CEOs, CFOs into this world of uh, of data analysis. I do not see personally the fundraising report card as a uh, as a final step kind of on that path of doing analysis and getting actionable information out of your database, but but rather it's kind of the opening the door. It's an easy to use tool that provides a lot of actionable insights but it opens up the door to potentially using Tableau, which is theoretically a competitor of ours, but something that can dive even deeper into that data and information. So another sort of long-winded answer there, but we're working on benchmarks. We're working on kind of expanding, you know, the, the resources that our company here offers. And then that third little piece is we're just trying to make that, you know, take the conversation a little bit further internally when it comes to data analysis analytics, et cetera. Well, I like that. It's fun to see how you can integrate your own personal mission, if you will, with the larger company's mission. And it makes sense. Uh, in fact, now you've kind of touched on this. Let's go a little bit further. Um, one of the topics that we talk about a lot on this show is fundraising. You know, fundraising is an ever-present reality and challenge for every nonprofit leader. So how does your tool specifically improve nonprofits' ability to fundraise more effectively? I mean, what have been the results so far? It sounds like you've got, you said $13 billion worth that you've analyzed, which is amazing, actually. That's a large amount. Um, yeah, any more specific examples of what the results have been so far and how are you seeing nonprofits improving by using your report card? Sure, sure, yeah. So one of the really most insightful metrics that we calculate that I I get on the phone, I spend a lot of time talking with our users and making sure they're getting value, this is the one, especially the ones that end up upgrading, right, because they're making that investment. And one of the things I learned very early on is a metric called lifetime value, donor lifetime value, which is this projection of future revenues associated with your, your donor file. It's, it's this idea of can we quantify how much our relationship with a donor is worth into the future. So that metric, donor lifetime value, if you're confused right now, Google it. It's an awesome metric to learn about. Um, but it's really just taking three numbers and multiplying them. And that would be taking average donation amount, uh, gift frequency, so how frequently are your donors uh, making contributions to your organization, and donor lifespan. On average, how long is a donor maintaining a relationship with your organization? So what we do within the fundraising report card, after you've uploaded that data, uh, we take that information, we calculate those three inputs, and then we calculate that lifetime value broken down by giving level segment. 
I'm going down my little long-winded tangent here, but it's all going to tie together, I promise. So we have organizations that will upload their data, okay, and then they'll go to their lifetime value report, and they'll be able to see what is the lifetime value this year of an under $100 donor. And an example of an organization I was working with actually earlier this week, yesterday actually, uh, they looked at that and it was $61. And what that was telling them was that for every new donor that they acquire and steward and retain and, and, and keep at that under $100 giving level, they can expect that donor to be worth $61 into the future. Now, it's a little crass to talk, you know, we about the worth of a person because we're talking about data right now, but they are, of course, real people. But this is the type of insight that when you can take all of your donation records, whether it be a thousand pieces of information, 10,000, 100,000, you know, donations from, from the past, and you can break it down and you can start to have that little actionable insight. Okay, we know that the lifetime value of any donor we acquire in the under $100 segment is $61. We know now not to spend more than, let's say, 45 that's the type of information that fundraising report card starts to present, and that goes a long, long way when, it, uh, you know, in terms of budgeting, thinking about different appeals, campaigns, et cetera. It's all about having access to information like that, which I call decision support, right? We all have kind of, uh, whenever we're posed a question or we have a sticky situation, we have a gut feel of sorts, right? Uh, our, our, our gut kind of influences, uh, you know, which which decision we're going to make. But when you have access to information like lifetime value, retention rates, attrition rates, growth rates, things like that, those aren't going to give you the answer to whatever question or conundrum you're facing. Uh, instead, really what they're going to do is they're going to support whatever decision you think is the right decision, right? You know, if you see that retention rates are going down, you can pair that with your gut feeling to create a real compelling uh, argument for something internally. So that's really the use case for a tool like Fundraising Report Card. It's decision support, and it's meant to, to help spark conversations and create data-driven solutions internally. Excellent. Well, and you know, fundraising is such a challenge for so many people. And you know, you've worked with nonprofits sounds like quite a bit now. Um, why, in your opinion, is fundraising such a challenge? I mean, why is it so difficult for the majority of nonprofits? So I think it's it, it's kind of like a two pronged. There's probably you know hundreds of reasons, uh, but two that that stick out to me are, are one, a lack of time, right, which is uh, kind of like a, a reality of of life, but in, I think magnified within nonprofit organizations, right, is that there's so many responsibilities that are, you know, distributed amongst not enough people that you end up with, you know, a director of development who's chipping in with, like, program work, right, and then struggling to, to find the time to take care of primary responsibilities. So I think that lack of time makes fundraising uh, difficult. And then I, I, the, the second prong, which may even be more important, is something that I kind of call a tooling issue. Uh, but it's, it's rooted in kind of the overhead myth, right? This perception that donors have that if I contribute $1 to, uh, you know, save the children, 
right, then that my $1 needs to go save a child. And if 20% of that or 10% of that or even 5% of that goes towards overhead, well, then I'm going to find a different organization that says that all 100% are going to go to save the child. And when you have that overhead myth, it kind of – it's this perpetual cycle, right, where an organization feels compelled – maybe compelled is not the right word. They have to, uh, you know, try and portray to their donors that, you know, we give all of our contributions go to the cause, all the contributions go to the cause. But then when you do that, you're actually not investing in the different types of resources, tools, uh, research, et cetera, to help further your mission into the future. So fundraising is is tough, right? Like we're going to not allocate enough people to solve the problem, kind of like the understaffing that leads to the lack of time. And then on top of that, we're not going to invest like thoroughly or enough in the actual resources and tools that we use within fundraising because if we do that, we're going to upset our existing donors or donors who are researching and, and, and you know, contemplating making contributions to our organization. So fundraising is a huge challenge for you know myriad of reasons, but those two stand out to me. No, I th- well said on those, and I, I resonate with each one of the things you mentioned. And I, you know, I think about what you're offering, and maybe you can even speak beyond just the report card itself. Do you feel like technology now is giving tools that is um, maybe exponentially empowering nonprofit leaders to get even better at fundraising, or do you feel like a technology is just one piece? It really still comes down to the old-fashioned relationship building. What kind of is your opinion as you look forward to how to really make long-distance gains in fundraising? How should nonprofit leaders do that? Yeah, and and that actually speaks to some of the research that we do internally on about the $13 billion of donations we analyzed, right? Because we've come across so many organizations that are top-heavy. And what I mean by that is they rely on, you know, their, their, all of their funding, 90% comes from 2% of their donor base, right? So they, a leader at an organization like that may want to take some time to think strategically about implementing a plan where they're introducing a new tool or technology or resource, right? But they literally cannot afford to not uh, you know, continue cultivating and maintaining those relationships with those 2% of their donor base that represent 90% of their donations. Because if they do, if they neglect one of those people, if, if they decide to either downgrade, decrease their amount of contribution or lapse, you know, leave the organization altogether, that takes a huge hit on the organization's bottom line, especially when you consider, or, uh, you know, nonprofits that are highly reliant on individual donors making major gifts. You know, when you have institutional funding or foundation funding, I think it's a little bit different. But I've come across that in our research and, and it just boggles my mind. How could you how could you justify taking time away from from that aspect, that primary responsibility of your role to then do what you were saying, which is, you know, looking into some of these new technologies, new tools, things like that. It is a split in the road that that uh, I don't know <laughs> if you go left or you go right, um, because I think it's it's understood that if you take some risks and you invest in some technologies and you invest in some different resources, there's this uh, you know chance or likelihood that you'll have some sort of net positive in the long run, but you risk kind of what you have going right now. It's it's a uh, unbelievably complex and challenging problem that. Uh, I wish I was more qualified to answer. 
Well, it's really interesting you say that, Zach, because you mentioned something that I wanted to just pause and ask again. So you said that 90% of the money that comes into an organization comes from 2% of the donors. Talk about that. That is an astounding number. Uh, Where are you getting that data? That's a trend I've noticed. To be quite frank, what we've seen is actually much more aligned with something called the Pareto principle, the 80-20 rule. And just to give perspective, we're actually looking to publish out. We're trying to partner with some academics. I'm very close to the University of Maryland campus here, so we're looking to partner with some of them to do even further research on this data. But what we've seen in our cursory, you know, look through internally is, is that 80-20 rule is, is pretty spot on. 80% of donation revenues come from about 20% of donors. There are some, I, I'm not going to call them edge cases because we see them too frequently, where it is more like a 92 rule, where 90% of those revenues, those donations are coming from really a handful of the organization's entire database. And those are, those are scary situations for, for the reasons we outlined before. One, two people or, or funders stop their contributions at, at, at that dollar amount, and it has a huge implication on the bottom line. Um, but talking, you know, with regards to the entire data set that we've had a chance to look through, a lot closer, fortunately, uh, to that 80-20 rule. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, and l- one last question on the fundraising specifically uh, with the data you've been analyzing. Have you seen any trends now that um, a lot of nonprofits are, you know, growing younger, if you will, in the sense that you've got a younger generation coming in to be um, leaders and getting involved, the donors. And so we've had a lot of people on the show to talk about the millennial generation, how they're changing the way people do fundraising. Have you also seen some trends that may be different ways of fundraising because of the millennial generation and what they bring to the table? Talk about that a little bit. So not specifically in our data that we've analyzed internally, right, because that's just uh, for the fundraising report card, it's just ID numbers, donor ID numbers, donation dates, donation amounts. So I can't speak to that in that regard. But uh, I personally, I'm a millennial, and I've I've actually written about this uh, quite a few times uh, online. I think that there is kind of a a paradigm shift or at least a a transition occurring where, uh, you know, Nonprofit leaders are, are seeing or perceiving that there's value in targeting millennials in different ways. Uh, but I actually wrote a blog post recently. Uh, I'm gonna, I think the, the title was Millennials Aren't Worth It, Hashtag Sorry. And I'm, I'm 21. Okay. So I have a prime time millennial, but that was, that was the title. And I went in depth, um, discussing, you know, and it speaks to what, what I was just talking about with 90% of revenues coming from 2% of donors. It's that time, right? If, if your organization is already heavily reliant on major donors or donors who are baby boomers, for example, or Gen Xers, folks that are, you know, not actively contemplating legacy contributions or, you know, wills, bequests, things like that, but would be worth like stewarding the relationship with. It's my personal opinion as a 21 year old who struggles enough to maintain relationships with like, you know, people, let alone entire nonprofit organizations that uh, targeting those folks is a more worthy investment of time and resources right now. So I'm not sure if, you know, the next, uh, the next big thing in fundraising is going to be peer to peer or Snapchat fundraising or anything that I'm not even up to date on. Um, I think the real value uh, right now comes in uh, focusing in on, you know, baby boomers, Gen Xers, 
things like that. So that's my two cents on on uh, millennials. Uh, I could spend hours discussing it, but please Google search. Uh, millennials aren't worth it, uh, and, and you'll see a little bit more of uh, where my head's at with all that. Yeah. I, I laugh because you're a millennial and you're saying that about yourself. That's written your own generation. That's awesome. Um, well, let me just maybe close with that in terms of um, what do millennials look for in nonprofits? Like what if from, again, granted, you don't have the data uh, specifically from all the, the $13 billion you've been analyzing, but just from your own personal experience, your friends, you're involved in the nonprofit sector, what attracts millennials to certain nonprofits? Is is it their mission? Is it what they do? Is it their awesome social media campaign? What attracts them and what gets them involved in a specific nonprofit? Yeah, and that's a fantastic question. Another thing I've actually written about, uh, don't remember the title of this post, but um, regardless, it, it actually ties in with the little save the children example that we were talking about before from the overhead myth. And this is scary, but what folks my age want is we want to see what our contribution did. We, we, if you think about the different social media tools that people my age use, the reason we like Snapchat is it's that momentary stimulus, right? We get, we get a new picture, we get to see something. We go on Twitter, we get to see something, Facebook, etc. We want to see what that $20 contribution did. I personally, now that I've been involved in this space for three years, I know $20 isn't you know that big of a deal or $100 isn't that big of a deal in terms of an entire donor file. But as a millennial, as someone who just made a $100 contribution, I want to see where that $100 went. And what I mean by that is if I made a contribution, uh, there's one organization, ah, their name is slipping in my mind, but they, they donate books uh, to children, some African country, I, I, again, slipping my mind, but what they do is when you make a contribution online, you get some sort of tracking number, and you can then track as your books are being shipped from wherever they're being shipped from to the the, the uh, wherever they're sent within Africa, and you get progress updates on that entire process. Um, that is what people my age like, right, because we are doing it to, to have attention to, to take away our attention, I guess, in a sense. We want to see that progress. We want to be reminded of what we've contributed and what we've done. And then on top of that, after that process is complete, we want everyone to know about it. Uh, if I donated $100 and, you know, uh, that all those books were sent to that camp, I want to then share that on my Facebook page because, look, I did something good. But look at me. So it's all about stimulating and, and, and um, you know, Trying to get that right message at the right time is important, but I think providing the uh, the context for where that one hundred dollars went, where that fifty dollars went, that is unbelievably meaningful when working with younger generations. Well, I hope everyone who's listening is really leaning in right now because this is a true millennial speaking about what attracts him and his generation to a nonprofit. And it's very fascinating. I really appreciate you sharing those insights. And so again, my guest has been Zach Shevska. He's the director of the fundraising report card, and he's a self-proclaimed entrepreneur and data analytics nerd. His mission is to help nonprofits harness the power of their data to better carry out their missions. Zach's been fascinating. Now, if people hear this and they want to know more about you or connect with you, where would you send them? Yeah, sure, Rob. Um, so I have a personal website, which uh, more power to you if you want to read some of my old essays. Uh, that's Shevska. So S as in Sam, H as in Henry, E as in Elephant, S as in Frank, S as in Sam, K as in Kangaroo, A as in Apple.com. Uh, that same Shevska on Twitter, you'll find uh, my my sparingly 
somewhat infrequent tweets, um, and then fundraisingreportcard.com. Um, please get in touch with me through any of those outlets. And it did just pop back in my mind, uh, that blog post, in case you're interested about the millennials giving, how to get them to give. Uh, just Google search how to get millennials to give to your nonprofit as told by a millennial. Hopefully that's one of those first ones that pops up. It was a guest post I wrote for a website called recharity.ca, a Canadian fundraising blog. So hopefully there's some resources. Hopefully there's some ways you can get in touch with me. And thanks again, Rob. I, I really do appreciate you having me on. Well, that's really, really fascinating, Zach. And thanks again for sharing your insights. And those who are listening are going to definitely want to go to his blog posts. Uh, a lot of the things we talked about today are written there. You can Google them as he says. So again, Zach, thanks for calling in from Maryland. We really appreciate your time today. Thanks so much. I wanted to let you know that we are on iTunes. If you are wondering how to find out where we are, check us out on iTunes by typing Nonprofit Leadership Podcast or Rob Harder, and this podcast should show up. We also encourage you, when you go on iTunes, let us know what you think. Give us a review. Give us a rating. We would love to hear what you think of this podcast, and your feedback will help us expand this podcast to get it out to as many people as we can. You can also go online to listen to this podcast, either nonprofitleadershippodcast.org or my website, robharder.com. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, keep making your world better.